Hello, and welcome to Wands and Fronds, the weekly podcast where we cover magic, herbalism, and more. I'm Nick. And I'm Shannon. And we are your co-hosts, as always. So today, I'm talking about the magic of birds, a very exciting topic. Yay, birds. Tiny little dinosaurs. What, what? Um, I'm going to be talking about some celebrity birds, Odin's ravens, uh, Hugin and Moonin, and then I'm talking about Clary Sage, which you're like, oh, what's the connection here? We'll get into it. Don't worry. I'll tell you what the connection is to birds. Uh, but Clary Sage is also like one of my favorite scents. It's so good. Oh, yeah. No, um, this is going to be so fun. But before we really get into it, when did you feel the magic this week? God, you know, for me, and whatever, this might be cheesy, but we went thrift shopping, and I found this sweater. And when I tell you this sweater is magical, and it was in a $20 bin, and the woman I talked to, Yvette, at a super goodie shout out she was like yeah this is one of those pieces that i acquired and i don't know why no one bought it but then it ended up in the 20 dollars bin and it's just like a gorgeous like vintage purple sweater covered in like all these gorgeous like little multicolored pearls and like sequin designs and something about it just like as soon as i saw the sweater i was like oh my god this is beautiful this is magical. How the fuck is this $20 in Los Angeles? Because it's like vintage and gorgeous. Right. Um, so yeah, so it was like a little clothes magic moment because like glamour magic is real. And I do have a Leo stellium, so. And it's jumping out. <laughs> she she really came out to play it this week. Um, so mine is, um, I had my mom in town last week until Saturday. So for anyone that, um, you know, needs a timeline, it is Wednesday night at the time of this recording. So, um, but it just so happened Saturday that the weather ended up being really nice. It was like 75 degrees outside, um, and my mom's hip was not giving her too much trouble. So we went for my nature walk to my little um, fairy spring, which also, you know, shout out to my mom for seeing that and being like, yeah, this place does not seem real. And I was like, yeah. Um, You're like, fuck, yeah, Karen, this is a magic spring. It's a magic spring. Um, also, there was a freeze relatively recently, and all of the little hanging moss fern things um, in the spring are still just as green and lively as ever. So um, that was nice to see. But also, on the walk to the spring, I saw my falcons. Oh my god. Or, I'm I, saw, so... I saw one of my falcons. I feel, like, honored that I got to see them when I was in town because they're celebrities. They are in fact celebrities. Um, oh. and, they're, and they're, um, <clears throat> friends of the pod. Um, the, the peregrine falcons that live on Gracie farms lane. Um, also, I don't know if you can see kind of Faye is like directly behind me. I, right there. Oh, I can, I, now I can see her. Yeah. She's like literally oh, just like creeping over my shoulder. Um, but no, so that was, that walk was pretty much it. It was, especially um especially nice to have both falcons and the magic spring in one walk on the week that we're doing the bird episode so i mean let's fucking get into it because yeah i mean just like as a bit of a throwback magical moment mentioning Faye, i do have to say that i haven't talked about it but i did feel very magical when Faye decided that she liked me when oh, i was yeah. at your house like oh yeah letting me pet her multiple times i was like yes we're best friends you you get it um we love Faye. We so today we're talking about clary sage or salvia scleria uh some common names that you'll see clear eye christ's eye uh eye bright european sage garden clary or volley sea bright muscatel sage and tootball in French. So um, there's an eye theme you might have noticed. 
<laughs> we're thinking eyeballs but clary I- sage is it's like and the cool thing about it it's cultivated all over the place right like primarily in europe uh england france the u.s and some in russia it's native to the mediterranean but it's a member of the lamiaceae family and we love the lamiaceae family because it has that good old square stem we love a helpful tip for identification it's a biennial herb. So the first year you're growing it, it's going to have these like cute little silvery heart-shaped leaves and like a basil rosette. They have these fine silver white hairs on them. And then in year duh, the flower stems pop out. And those bad boys are three to four feet tall with like pale blue, pink, or white inflorescences. And the flowers on them are kind of like two-lipped tubular flowers. I'm definitely going to have to post a pic because... They're like, they almost have a Lobelia or Snapdragon type vibe. Like they're pretty, but they're kind of unique as far as flowers go. So I'm, I'm going to just have to post a photo because I was looking at a billion pictures of this to try to figure out how to describe it. And I was like, I'm kind of at a loss. They're cool. Um, they bloom from June to August. So you're getting that like cancer season to Leo season beautiful little blooms the flowers are also super super aromatic which I love because a lot of times with you know herbs that have a strong scent you don't always get a really aromatic flower on top of that if the foliage is really you know scent you will but you do with this one the great I I do just want to shout out here to garlic flowers for smelling like garlic oh my god we love I do love garlic flowers. Um, I mean, I'm growing borage right now as far as flowers go, and they don't smell like anything, but they taste like cucumbers. So putting them in some lemonade. Uh, Clary sage, though, super easy to grow. I always love giving you guys ones that you can grow. You want to sow your seeds either in the spring or you can sow them in September to let them overwinter. You really don't have to. It's kind of like a choose-your-own-adventure, not required to overwinter them allegedly you'll get a more robust plant but like i live in los angeles we don't get winter and guess what my fucking plants are robust as fuck so i'm like "Mm, i don't think it's necessary and bitches are busy so (laughs) they uh butterflies love clary sage so we also enjoy a good butterfly garden if you're one of those people clary sage is a great addition and then it's going to smell great and you can do magic with it Something to just keep in mind if you're thinking about growing it is that these do self-seed and they can be a bit aggro in some climates. So do a little bit of regional research before you go too wild with it. You know, be careful. But they're they're actually like pretty easy to grow. You know, they want like full sun, ideally, at least like five to six hours a day, well-draining, nutrient-rich soil, you know, really like pretty standard for Mediterranean plants. And then when you're harvesting them, you're going to harvest the leaves in the second year. So that like first year with like the pretty little silver heart-shaped basil rosette leaves, leave it the fuck alone. Let it chill. It's doing all sorts of good work below ground in the roots. You'll harvest the leaves in year two, just as the flowers are coming into bloom. And when you're harvesting plants, like in particular with you know, herbs where you're trying to get the oils out of them, you want to harvest them early in the morning, right after the dew dries. And the thing that I've always read is that if you're growing them in your herb garden and you water them that morning and then they dry, you don't need to wash them again necessarily because it's like you basically gave them a rinse with the watering can and then they air dried. Because one of the things you have to be careful with, with herbs, especially if you're drying them, right, is like you don't want to get mold and rinsing them and washing them a billion times is a great way to keep them wet. So if you water your plants in the morning, everything dries off, all the dew, and then like mid-morning you chip, you like chop them, lay them out to dry. Fucking like don't, don't ever think this. Um, When people make essential oils with it, the plant is usually allowed to like field dry and then it's steam distilled that's the way it's usually done um as an aside like steam distilling looks so cool and I definitely want to try my hand at it at some point I've been seeing a lot of like 
copper, like little copper steam distillers that you can buy, like little home setups. And I'm like, oh my God, can you imagine if I made my own essential oils? Now, now that's like some next level herb witchery. Right. I'm like, that's, that's like herb witchery, like 102 for sure. Really though. Like you, ha- you have stepped up your game. If you yeah, are you're getting up distilling there. your own essential oils. <laughs> um, But the reason I bring that up, <clears throat> excuse me, guys, I'm still congested. It is like, I don't know if anyone has watched the news. It has like flooded in California for a week and everything is mold. So <laughs> now though, Clary Sage, let's talk herbalism. Disclaimer, guys, I'm not a doctor. Nick's not a doctor. This podcast, it's not intended to treat or diagnose anything. Always talk to your healthcare professionals before you start a new herbal regimen. Don't get medical advice from a podcast. You're smarter than that. So interestingly enough, there's actually kind of limited information on the historical uses of clary sage. Um, We do have some stuff from John Gerard. He's an English herbalist and an author. He wrote some about it in the 1590s because it grows like in the English hillside, which just sounds like a place you should have a picnic and drink tea and eat crumpets. Uh, Our good friend Nicholas Culpepper, the herbalist and astrologer, associated clary sage with the moon because it has moistening and emollient qualities. I think the moon makes good sense. It also goes into bloom and cancer season, you know. The the most notable and frequently mentioned use of clary sage, though, as you might have guessed from all of those eye-themed common names, is as an eye wash. So the way that the wash is typically made is by soaking the seeds in water until they form a mucilaginous gel. Like, think about the chia seed goop. And then... <laughs> The gel is supposed to be used to like flush your eyes to remove dust and debris. And it's also anti-inflammatory. So it's supposed to help with any like eye inflammation. But you'll also see that like same seed preparation recommended for like drawing, like drawing salves. So like drawing out splinters, drawing out thorns. But also I loved um, the recommendation to use it on tumors and what is referred to as swellings. Oh, yeah. You got to treat those swellings. Those swellings that we all deal with. Um, but that that drawing action that it has paired with it being astringent is why you'll also see it recommended just like for a lot of skin related issues. And I did love reading that in Jamaica, one of the traditional uses was to use it for cleansing skin ulcers, but then they would also make a decoction of the leaves in coconut oil to use on scorpion stings. Wow. Spooky. Um, I'm terrified of scorpions. Yeah, there's so- there's something, it's like, I as a grown ass man, I think I now, sort of like and appreciate spiders as just part of the ecosystem like i'm yeah. at a good, i'm at a good place with spiders scorpions can go to hell though yeah i mean the cockroach lobsters no thank you no cuz okay the last time i saw a scorpion literally unprovoked this scorpion runs across the room it's clacking its little lobster claws okay oh. it's coming for me unprovoked no like thank you. and i'm like i'm sorry for that you have to die there's no like yeah no there's i mean look sometimes it be that way there's no cup and a piece of paper that's gonna fix this situation no like, you fucking come for me you die i'm bigger than you you didn't get the drop sorry my friend <laughs> um <laughs> I also though so back to to Sage Culpepper suggested um infusing a vinegar with clary sage leaves to use for boils and again skin inflammation issues. I do have to say like I see this a lot in the natural beauty area where people are like just use apple cider vinegar right on your skin. Y'all be careful. Like your skin has a natural pH. Things that are too acidic can damage your like your healthy skin barrier, which can ultimately cause more inflammation, more outbreaks, more like problems with your skin. Please never put lemon juice directly on your skin. I was also a girl in the 90s and was told that was a good thing. It's not. Don't put acid right on your skin. Like it be careful. Let, let's be there- let's be smart people. Let's be smart about it. Yeah, there's a reason that things like lactic acid are in like a 5% in 
there's like in the whole skincare thing you're not just putting like acid straight acid unless you're doing a peel in which case be careful um anyway so you'll also sometimes along the like inflammation area uh, area of its expertise see clary sage leaf used uh, in like gargles for sore throats so you know it's another another heavy hitter uh heavy hitter area that was a weird writing choice for me because that's um that's a mouthful so another heavy hitter area for clary sage is for calming emotional distress so I found one recipe uh, that was a combination of clary sage, chamomile flowers, burdock, coriander seed, and caraway, recommended by an herbalist as a treatment for, and I quote, violent cases of hysteria or wind colic. Oh, so, I, I absolutely have wind colic. <laughs> wind colic? You, you're a burpy baby. Um, hysteria was historically used to describe emotional issues, but... Again, you have to remember it also referred to physical issues in the form of what they called quote unquote female issues, that good old wandering womb problem that they thought ladies dealt with on the reg. Uh, personally, my womb has never moved. Uh, neither has like any woman I know. I've never known a woman whose womb has moved. If your womb has moved, write in. I'd like to hear about it. Tell me about your problems. Um, but that recommendation from, from Greaves, he's the one who wrote that, that recipe was probably pointing to using it both as like an antispasmodic and a nervine. So that's the thing with like historical herbalism is sometimes we have to read things that were made for violent cases of hysteria and figure out like what actions they were actually using the herb for. Because, you know, again, it is an antispasmodic. It is a nervine. Uh, we just don't talk about wombs wandering around up to your throat during that time of the month anymore. Uh, I also love there was this like great recipe that Culpepper went into where fresh clary sage leaves are like battered and then fried in butter. <laughs> and that food was recommended for men and women with weak backs. So, you know, uh, I'm totally cool with eating some deep fried fucking clary sage leaves if it's going to help my 30 something back because that sounds like it would be a good pasta sauce. Right. Ugh, it just sounds so good. Um, there are herbalists that suggest using it as a tonic for like PMS issues. And I also saw recommendations to juice the leaves and drink that after childbirth to help expel the placenta. I don't know anything about placentas and childbirth like herbalism in general is not my area of expertise, but I thought it was interesting. Um, and clary sage, fun facts, was used as a substitution for hops in beer and winemaking. They Ooh. actually think that clary sage can help make alcohols that get you more drunk. So German winemakers would also add like clary sage along with elderflowers to create a substitute muscatel. So remember, like muscatel sage was one of the common names. They would actually use that to kind of make muscatel. So I'm going to share a recipe for clary sage ale at the end of this segment. So hold tight because I thought it was a super fun thing. Um, but nowadays, clary sage is like a really popular essential oil. We've talked about these before. I have to say it smells fucking great. I have a bottle of clary sage essential oil. I love it. Like most good essential oils, it's anti-inflammatory, antimicrobial, uh, antifungal. If you like the smell of it, enjoy it responsibly. Some places say you can like consume it. I just can't in good conscience recommend eating essential oils. Just go eat clary sage. Get the fucking leaves. Don't eat essential oils. It's weird. Um, so let's talk magic. Clary sage, it is ruled by the moon. So, you know, we're going to be talking about intuition. We're going to be talking about prophecy. So we're getting kind of into like where it ties into like birds because uh, the, the working title of this episode was birds are liminal as fuck. And this plant is also very liminal. And what I mean is that one of the things you can think about with plants that like mature over two seasons is that they can be plants that help you like walk between worlds, right? So in year one, this plant doesn't have any flowers all it has is like pretty silvery leaves like it looks like winter time essentially as a plant and all of the root like action is happening underground like all of the developments happening in the dirt in the earth 
and you're not really seeing any change above ground. But then in the second year, it basically becomes a different plant. It shoots up these like four foot tall fucking flower stalks and it goes from this tiny basil rosette to a capital F flower. So like you can kind of think about it almost like a catonic plant, right? So the tide of the underworld means that Clary Sage can help you like take hidden mysteries, like do prophetic work, use these things to transform yourself, right? Helping you walk between like the seen and the unseen. It's so scorpionic, so Piscean. Like, I feel like those two, like it's very watery. It's a very, very watery plant. Um, so you could use it in offerings to chthonic deities, put it in sleep sachets for dream walking. You could use the essential oils in a bath if you're doing like astral work or any sort of like prophecy work. Um, I also love the idea of putting a few leaves or even flowers in your tarot or your rune bag. You can also add the essential oils to your lotions or your body oils that you use like on the reg to add some additional like intuitive energy to your daily routine if that's something you're working on. But I also love, speaking of all the Leo, um, the flowers to me have like big glamour magic energy, right? So this is a plant that essentially hides itself for a full year and then bam, beautiful. So I love the idea of kind of like planting a row of clary sage, maybe under your windows to help repel intruders, you know, that protective energy, but to also kind of like deflect wandering eyes thinking about that aspect of glamour magic like no one likes to be gawked at hello city dwellers you know what it's like to have neighbors up your ass hmm. maybe clary sage will help um and i just think that clary sage is one of those that's, it's so powerful i think it's like a good one to use use wisely but also get to know it um and i know i kind of talked a little bit about chthonic deities and and i just i know that for some people the idea of working with deities is like either not in your practice or it's something you're not super comfortable with. So I think something like Clary Sage could actually be kind of a cool little like entryway to working with chthonic energies if you don't want to do deity work, because I personally find that like plant magic for a lot of people is less intimidating. So, you know, if you've thought about working with someone like Hecate or Hades, maybe do a trial run and like get to know Clary Sage, like get to know the plant, use it sort of in that way. So those were my my initial thoughts on it. Um, I used the herbarium and the 11th house were my primary sources today. But real quick, I'm going to walk through this recipe for clary sage oil. Um, it's adapted from Stephen uh, Booner's recipe. So for it, you need four pounds of malt extract, two pounds of brown sugar, four ounces of fresh clary sage flour, four gallons of water, and one package of wine yeast. So you're gonna like start by sterilizing everything. You should always do that if you're home brewing anything and boil the water in like a 10 gallon or a really large stainless steel kettle. Once it reaches a boil, that's when you're gonna add your clary sage, reduce it to a low simmer for half an hour, remove it from heat, and then you're gonna let it cool to about 160 degrees Fahrenheit. That's when you're gonna add in your malt extract and your sugar, Stir, stir, stir that bad boy until it's well dissolved and then continue at a low simmer for an hour. So once you hit that hour, you're going to remove the liquid, um, the, the wort, which is essentially it's like the liquid extracted from the process during the brewing of beer that uh, will be fermented by the yeast to produce the alcohol, right? So you're going to like remove the liquid from the stove, cool it to 70 degrees Fahrenheit, strain it into a fermenter. Add your yeast and the last two ounces of clary sage and then seal it with an airlock. And then you only have to ferment it for like one to two weeks. And you know that your fermentation's over when there's no air bubbles visible in the airlock. And then you can just like bottle it up, pour like pour it in, cap it, and then it's ready to drink in like 10 days to two weeks after that. So it's actually like not a super long brewing process either, which I thought was kind of fun. I like really this is the time when I'm like, I wish I drank alcohol because I want to try it, but maybe I'll make like a clary sage kombucha. Hey. But yeah, so it's a liminal plant. Birds are liminal. We'll talk a little bit more about birds and chthonic like energies, but um, that's that. Clary sage. Clary sage. Also, I think clary sage is kind of like a cool name. Is that weird? Yeah. No, I don't think so at all. I think it's a great name. I want to meet someone named clary sage. Yeah, I want her to, like, pull my cards. Oh, 
No doubt. No doubt. Um, well, because I love the name Claire. Yeah. Claire's so a good Clary, name. Clary. I don't know. Um, okay, so bird magic, you guys. Um, I thought that a fun sort of aperitivo for this segment would be talking about the kinds of birds that we are specifically seeing a lot in nature. Um, or just, you know, like birds that we vibe with. So I will go first and say, first of all, I am one of those millennials who has a lot of owl stuff around my house and always have. Um, and that has sort of seamlessly transitioned into like a witchier vibe. Um, but as far as like living, breathing birds, I do have to say that since I have moved to Austin, I have seen a metric shit ton of Eastern screech owls. Um, I don't know why the damn things follow me, but um, I do love it. And for anyone who doesn't know, first of all, Google is your friend. But second of all, Eastern screech owls are like tiny little pocket owls. Yeah, they're and cute. They're little. They're very small. Definitely less than a foot. Um, and they're very cute and they make very, very iconic like owl hoots. Like the, the sound that you would think of as like, that's an owl. Like that is the noise that they make. Um, and I do think, like I've told the hummingbird waterfall story here before where I saw like six or seven hummingbirds playing in a waterfall on like a birthday hike one time. Um, so that was really cool. Uh, I also I have definitely told on this podcast, uh, the time I saved a baby dove, which, oh, yeah. um, also shout out to wildlife rescues for dealing with shit like that. Um, being a full-time bird parent for two days actually really opened my eyes to like how hard that must be if you are also a bird. Um, anyway, so... And um, I am talking about my recent obsession with falcons later on. So pop a pen in that. But the falcon thing is real. Uh, there's pictures of that on Instagram. Um, but I did also um, think it would be fun to talk about, like, what birds maybe were spiritually drawn to. And for me, top of the list is the albatross. Like, I love all seabirds. But the albatross, I think, is the coolest seabird. Uh, they can sleep while they're flying. And, like, one was tracked as not touching solid land for two years. Or close to two years. But wow. uh, Just, you know, like, obviously they would have to go get fish or whatever out of the ocean. But, like, never went near an island. Never, like, stopped for a long time. Was, like, straight up flying and gliding for two straight years. I mean, can you imagine, like... That, no. must, that must be such a cool life. Like, your whole world is just the sea and the sky. And, um, like, wow. Like, that's got to be one of the top, like, natural lifestyles that exists, I feel. Yeah. No, for sure. I mean, like, that's, it's so cool. And, no, like, love, love that for them. I actually, I don't like the whole, like, negative connotations with albatrosses, too. So, like, you know, it's like they, they would say that because they scream and they, like, are always out to see that they represent, like, longing and, like, the souls of dead sailors. And it's like, no, I just, I think it's, I think they're cool. I think it's so cool that they just fly over the ocean for years at a time. Like, but... Uh, and since this is apparently a Sandra Keens heavy segment, like shout out Sandra Keens, I have your book Sea Magic. I brought it with me to the the Pacific Ocean this summer, uh, this last summer. Um, so in the book, though, there's this bit about um, finding your sea fetch. You know, you're sort of like oceanic familiar, right? Which has this whole journey of like um, like a visualization exercise that you can do. But after that, it kind of walks you through what the different ones mean. And so there's like 12 of them and only two of them are birds, but the albatross is in there. So I thought it would be kind of cool since I've always thought albatrosses were really cool. Um, also shout out to the Alessi brothers for making the crunchiest jam of all time, Seabird. <laughs> okay. Um, 
anyway, so from Sandra Keen's book, Sea Magic, about the albatross as a sea fetch, uh, here we go. So this rare oceanic wanderer can show us the ethereal realms beyond this world and within our hearts. At one time, the albatross was seen as the restless spirit of drowned sailors because of its cry and its endless soaring. And with a wingspan greater than other seabirds, albatrosses can shepherd us on our journey and steer us in the direction that we are meant to travel. Um, albatross teaches us the value of nurturing. Even the male sits on the nest, um, so they do share parenting uh, duties, um, as well as the skills to survive any turbulence we may encounter. So with the albatross as your guide, we can learn to see the magnificence in the world around us and the worlds within us. So the associations were solitude, survival, and the ability to wonder. Ah, oh, I love it. And I, I don't know, I feel very drawn to that um, as like sort of an oceanic spiritual guide for me. <clears throat> um, so Shannon, do you have any birds that kind of like come up in your life or like any cool bird stories? Yeah, I mean, I, I like birds. Um, I have seen, <clears throat> there's like a couple of vermilion flycatchers that live in Park La Brea. Give them a Google. They're like bright red birds. They're so Ooh. pretty. But also, I mean, I don't know how familiar some of y'all are with like the bird world of Los Angeles, but there are also a billion finches. Like we have so many finches all over the place. They're so cute. And there are little like packs of um parrots in los angeles like down between los angeles and san diego like pets and stuff that have gotten out that end up just like forming little uh little bird colonies but and of course the hummingbirds i've talked about the hummingbirds but for me it's like i have always 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 loved crows like i just i love crows i see them all the time i have like the most perfect crow feather in my cinnamon broom that like hangs over my doorway into my kitchen anytime I'm walking willow and I see the crows I say hello I always greet them I just my dream in life is to become friends with a crow that's all I want I mean I if I become friends with a crow you can just off me because I'll have accomplished my entire life's purpose right uh one item bucket list befriend yeah. a crow befriend a crow I want a crow to bring me presents but I, I love them. I've just always been obsessed with blackbirds. Um, I do have a blackbird tattoo on the back of my shoulder. But I just, I, there's something about them that's just so magical. And I, the thing that I like, I mean, thinking about um, sort of the liminal nature of birds and carrion birds in particular, which are my faves, is I love the like glossy sheen that you get on a black bird feather where it's like green and blue and mm, it's mm -hmm. so much more than initially meets the eye. And that's one of my, one of my things that I really love about them. I think they're just like the most gorgeous birds. They're brutal, but beautiful, which uh, I would love to be described as someday. So. Also, there is a huge colony of vultures that lives in my local green belt and they all there's you know those um really big power line towers yeah you know like the texas eiffel tower vibe like almost looks like a robot man yeah they're huge they're they're so big um they all hang out on one of those. And I'm saying, like, it's 50 or 60 at least on one yeah. of these. And, you know, like, I'm going to be honest, you guys. I have collected feathers from underneath there. It is a very easy source of shed feathers, which obviously that's going to be the number one most ethical way to harvest feathers yeah. you know and we're not going to tell you to violate state law and collect feathers in nature but we'll tell you about things maybe we've done right and i mean you know it's like but i love the vulture feathers really they're though, gorgeous they're huge uh, too. they're huge too so you can put a few together to make a little fan um i do like that as like a use for feathers because if you're burning a lot of incense if you're burning a lot of you know smoke cleansers in your home a little feather fan and even witchier oh, yeah. if it's made of vulture feathers 
Um, yeah, and it's like if you're collecting feathers like that, just pop them in the freezer for like a week or so to like kill off any mites. Like, right? That's it's the really it's a way it's, just it's, freeze it's, them for a bit. It's all about avoiding the mites. Um, yeah, make sure you sanitize your hands after you've been handling raw feathers. Yeah. Be don't, safe. Don't be stupid. Don't be stupid. Don't be. Don't stupid. take a feather from the ground and put it in your hair. That's gross. You're gonna get fucking mites. Don't you, do that. Yeah, and don't do that. So great. Now that we've covered that, um, I do. You know. Um. Anyway, I do want to dive in, but I do also want to start a fight because I'm in Aries. Um, and I just want to say I don't really get birds as pets. Um, like most of the birds that I have seen kept in captivity in my own life, like my personal experience, um, have all seemed very anxious about their situation. Um, and, you know, like I see TikToks and I see reels of people chilling with birds. And you know what? I'm sure there's outliers, but I personally, like, it doesn't sit right with me spiritually to keep an animal that can literally fly uh, inside of, like, a box. Yeah, I'm, like, I'm all for rescue birds because I know there are a lot of, like, parrot rescues and stuff from places that, like, clip their wings and things like that. But, yeah, I'm, I'm like, it's kind of like a adopt, don't shop. I'm like, if you really want a bird, go through a bird rescue. Cause there are a lot of them. And like, the, it's sad, the things that people do to fucking birds, but like yeah. the idea of buying like an expensive parrot from a breeder feels really gross. Or yeah, even worse, an expensive parrot that was potentially stolen from like an actual wild habitat. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, not even to mention the fucking poaching. That's a oh, whole yeah. other issue. Ugh. Um, yeah, the only bird that I ever had that, that we had when I was growing up that I liked was Ruby. And the only reason I liked Ruby is because she wouldn't leave. She was like, do you remember Ruby? My Nana had gotten, like, white doves for someone's wedding. Right. And Ruby wouldn't fly away. She kept coming back. Wait, wait, so wait, 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 wait. Wasn't Ruby... Wait, wait, wait. Wasn't Ruby, though, one of the... <sighs> Whose wedding was that? Because I remember that. I think that. it was my Aunt Vicky's wedding. Oh, of course. Of course, when she married Julio. Yeah. So they got the doves, and most of them flew away. But not Ruby. She just, like, flew up and flew back down. Um, but well, again, and, it's like and speaking of bird captivity problems. Yeah, and not like truly uh, doves and pigeons, which are very closely related, by the way, are like birds that kind of like domesticated themselves by being so up people's ass for our trash that. Um... Yeah, I just I normally I'm like, I've just never seen a bird like a person as much as Ruby liked my Nana. Yeah, well, I and I would say like doves do have like a very personable kind of quality. I just, I just don't, I just don't support it as, like, a big idea. Yeah, no, no, 100%, 100%, because, like you said, it's, like, the problem with, like, doves that get sold for stuff like that is, like, they're often, like, either bred in captivity and they're never in nature, and then people release them for weddings and they immediately get eaten, or, because like, they, they yeah, throw off. they have no idea. Yeah, they, like, throw off local ecosystems. Again, it's, like, if you really like have a boner for having a bird pet, go through a rescue or a sanctuary. Like don't fucking buy a bird from a mystery source that could have been captured from nature or like buy a fucking $600 parrot. Like that, go do something better with your money. Anyway. Yeah. I uh, So yeah, I'm starting that fight. If you're a bird person, um, I need you to justify your lifestyle to, to, <laughs> to me personally. So looking forward to those emails. Um, I actually, I don't know. And we're friends with a lot of witches just through this podcast now. I can't really think of anyone who is like in my personal witchy circle who is a bird person as well. Mm -mm. So maybe, maybe witches aren't bird people. Maybe witches get that the idea of putting a bird <laughs> in a cage feels bad. Yeah. Yeah. And good for y'all. Good for y'all. Um, anyway, so I did also, 
I'm moving on. I did also read this really cool article on Llewellyn.com.net, um, and it was called Birds Are Spiritual and Magical Allies, and it's also by Sandra Keynes, who wrote um, Sea Magic, which is the book I have in my hand right now. Um, I'm like, I feel like we should tag her. We absolutely should. She has strong opinions about birds and magic, which... I respect that. I was like, okay, no, we're, you know, we're bringing you on the pod. You're like, um, me too, Sandra. Me too. (laughs) Anyway, um, so I had some hot takeaways from that as well. And first, uh, like, bird imagery has always sort of strongly been associated with goddess energy and sort of like these primordial depictions of like mother goddesses usually have some kind of bird element so um you know that kind of great earth mother vibe is happening which is v cool and v witchy but what also piqued my interest was this sort of ongoing idea that crosses many different cultures and belief systems um, that birds are messengers and spiritual guides. So um, sort of birds as omens and symbols, uh, which is ultimately kind of the direction I've gone in today because um, I could easily come on here and say like, birds represent the air element Use feathers on your own altar when doing workings around communication and intellectual pursuits. And, like, yawn. Okay, so that's definitely been done before. Like, you can definitely go listen to that podcast because I listened to that podcast about 20 times this week. By <laughs> And snooze. And it is truly a snooze. Um, after you've heard it like the fifth or sixth time, it's like, we get it. It's the air element. It's the communication and intellectual pursuits. Okay. Got- it's like, look, we understand that the air element is a hard yeah. thing to find symbols for. So we all decided feathers, but like. So we all decided feathers. Calm down. Um, and I also think, and this is a, maybe a hot take. I don't know. Um, that the whole bird's air thing is more than a little reductive considering the vast diversity of water and seabirds out there. Not to mention there's a handful of burrowing species of birds, a lot of flightless birds, birds at both icy poles, and even a few species of birds that nest on active volcanoes. So, Hashtag not all birds. Birds have range, okay? period um but i'm very much very very much a birds as an omen witch i've always thought that the first time i ever took mushrooms there were we were surrounded by owls up in the trees um and i i took that on board okay um and i feel like i knew what they were saying to me in that moment because I was on a lot of mushrooms. So I mean, the psilocybin knew what they were saying. The psilocybin knew what they were saying and, you know, message very much received. So um, I think anyone who's done mushrooms knows exactly the kind of thing I'm talking about. Um, so I do enjoy this idea that not only the types of birds that you're seeing, but also sort of what they're doing and how they're behaving could be sort of portentous about happenings in your own life or even like messages from ancestors or spirit guides you know it's like the birds are not your spirit guides they are like the messengers for your spirit guides right um because there's always been this kind of idea that birds go to the sky and come back and they must be talking about very important shit up there Uh, And, you know, talking to the gods and the angels and, like, everything that you think lives in the sky because you're a past person. Um, Birds, birds know. Birds, birds know what's up. Okay, which brings me around to the falcons. So I've been low-key obsessed with this uh, new residence in my neighborhood. And they've been here for a couple months now. And they are a breeding pair of peregrine falcons, which... Um, there is a picture on our Instagram. 
Um, I think it's the male. It's easier to tell when they're next to each other because peregrine falcons look exactly the same as each other, but the male is slightly smaller than the female. Um, but there's also a picture of my fairy spring in that collection of photos. So I always talk about it. I've never posted it. Here you go, guys. So, um, but actually, one of my favorite things about the falcons is that they live on my green belt or at least they hunt there. I, I'm not actually not quite sure where they're nesting, but um, I have gotten to see them a lot. And actually when I took my mom for a walk, people were walking. It was a beautiful day. Lots of people were out walking, but people are walking directly under this huge bird of prey and not even looking up at it. So it kind of feels like my little secret, you know? Like lots of people walk around in that neighborhood but it's like, I'm the only one that's like keeping an eye out for the falcons that I know live there because yeah, they're, they're out and about. Like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know why people are not just like more amazed by that. And I think that's uh, magic in and of itself, you know? Yeah. But uh, I did see one of them, not sure which, take down a pigeon in midair with their iconic kind of death from above hunting style and it did make a very loud thud on the ground that kind of startled me um and uh, here's a fun fact about peregrine falcons the peregrine falcon reaches the fastest speed of any living animal while doing that death drop from above um sometimes exceeding 200 miles per hour y'all that's fast that's fast oh Dude, we gotta love getting startled by birds, though. It reminds me of the time <clears throat> I was um, in my garden and I was on a step stool trying to, like, tie up one of my vines. And a hummingbird flew so close to my ear that I almost fell off the step stool because it scared the piss out of me. Right, because right, a hummingbird right. right by your ear, it sounds like a fucking engine. Like, it's so loud. Oh, yeah. Um... <laughs> anyway. Have you, see, have you seen those things, though, where people put, like, hummingbird feeders on hats? Yeah. I'm obsessed. It's it's wild. I mean, I just love, like, I my hummingbird feeder is just really close to my couch outstairs, outside, and I just sit outside and, and watch them just come up like we're buddies and pretend I'm fucking Snow White. As you should. Um... But I did want to look at what falcons might mean as an omen, because that is, like, a really sort of old-school way to, like, look at birds as, like, magical portents. So um, I looked into the symbolism of falcons, and I'm just going to go ahead and say the low-hanging fruit here is that Ra, the sun god, had the face of a falcon. So... Can I just say, I... It is physically impossible for me to look at the name <laughs> Ra without going, Ra, Ra, ah, ah, ah. Thank you, Gaga. She ruined me. Um, so the sun has long been associated with falcon imagery, um, but the sun represents this sort of raw, powerful, fiery energy, which does also make sense in the context of the falcon in some animal-based zodiacs. So, for example, the Celtic zodiac, falcons are born during Sagittarius season, um, and in various Native American zodiacs, falcons are born during Aries season and I am They're both fiery. I have both Aries and Sag in my big three so I can claim that one twice N Nick is a falcon boy so that's what we've learned definitely a falcon boy uh, but falcons as a portent and what various cultures have ascribed to that um, did track well with my life currently um a typical interpretation is around planning and strategizing because of the whole thing that hawks do where they fly yeah. really high up into the sky and like survey the sort of land around yeah. them with your virgo rising um but also sort of like romance and travel which are all these kind of interlinked themes and focuses and things that i've kind of had going into this year so I just really feel like, yeah, it's like Falcon. It's like the Falcon year is kind of the vibe that I'm getting. I love um, it. But, uh, okay. One message that I did think was especially prescient uh, was that, yeah, Falcons were known for flying really high up so they can see 
all of the obstacles a mile away, but it's also sort of this message to not overthink things because ultimately, if you don't trust your gut and follow your instincts and do your death drop, you're, you know, not going to be successful in your hunt. You're not going to eat that day. So um, you do have to sort of make firm decisions, um, which is, yeah, tracking for me in a pretty major way. And I also thought, though, because like looking at birds as omens, what do the crows mean since you see the crows all the time? Um, so my findings were that crows often show up around times of great life changes as a reminder to be adaptable because crows are so adaptable and intelligent and like flow with the changing tides. Um, I also saw that seeing a lot of crows could be a sign of increased psychic awareness or expansion into your subconscious spaces. Um, it could also be guidance to find like your own inner sanctum or inner peace if you are not currently working on that. Uh, also, I just think generally very scorpionic themes with crows, death and rebirth, the cycles of life, and comfort with mortality. Mm, love. I love a carrion bird. Um, but okay, I also kind of wanted to talk about something that does come up in bird magic lore, but always kind of takes a backseat to this sort of like air representation is I think that birds are such a strong symbol of fertility. I mean, eggs, heller, um, <laughs> but also not just eggs. I mean, a lot of birds mate for life. I think that's pretty powerful. Uh, not, you know, not every animal does that. Um, I also think with the whole fertility thing, like what could be a more virile symbol of fertility than like a flock of anything, but like, Oh my God. Right. <laughs> a flock of birds all flying in the same direction. Like, Oh my yeah. God. Well, and speaking of flocks, we didn't touch on it, but like another thing that I want to do in my travels is I'd love to like the Netherlands, I think, has one of the biggest ones, but where you can see the giant starling murmurations. Oh, yeah. No, uh, the starlings are apparently also, like, uh, over Rome in the summertime. Ooh. Ooh. I know. Like... I mean, I, I, I can just imagine. And I know that the locals hate it because ultimately it is um, annoying to have like literally millions of birds flying over you shitting on everything but like but the murmurations are fucking bonkers but just maybe the idea of being able to like have a glass of wine on some like rooftop patio in rome and just like watch that at sunset um oh, yeah fuck that does up. sound fun as fuck i'm sorry <laughs> um i'm like okay are we going on a bird vacation oh my god a bird <laughs> a bird vacation would be so fun Actually, so um, I'm already planning my next trip to Mexico, and we are going to a place that's sort of like deeper in the jungle, and I really want to do some birding, because there's some really, I saw a lot of really cool birds when I was there the first time, just around town, so I can only imagine what kind of cool stuff is out in the actual jungle. Oh my god, all I remember, like my biggest takeaway memory from being in the jungle of mexico is like when we were going out to whole moon is realizing how fucking fast iguanas are oh, and sure. how unsettling that is to me because <laughs> they stand up like their legs are longer than you think they are and they fucking run mm -hmm. and like i like lizards i don't like any creature that charges me like, yeah well it's kind of like that scorpion from earlier isn't it it's like yeah you're playing a dangerous game and I'll win, but I'm going to be uncomfortable about it. Right. <laughs> um, but no. So, yeah, I think kind of like the sleeper hit with birds is kind of like the fertility, the relationships. I mean, birds also, I mean, the whole flock thing, I feel like birds kind of tie into teamwork. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like teamwork is important. Like, I, I know, like, people don't really think a lot about doing magic around their, like, work. But, you know, like flocking birds could be great for any workings related to making things run smoothly with your team at work. Yeah, because a lot of us are working witches. No shame. No shame. So, um, but also just a shout out 
to pelicans for being so fucking goofy um oh my god yes i just i love them to death i love a goofy bird and they're like labrador retrievers as birds yeah they're just goofy as hell um and that has nothing to do with witchcraft but everything to do with my heart so which is witchy so whatever but um, I do have some sources today. Look at me being all Shannon about it. Um, so Birds are <laughs> Spiritual and Magical Allies by Sandra Keynes. And the book Sea Magic also by Sandra Keynes. Shout out Sandra Keynes. Sorry, I'm talking about you so much today. No, we love her. I think that's great. Um, do, um, we wanna okay. do, do we want to do some baby asks? I think we should do some baby asks, Nick. Why don't you take it away? You do some baby asks and I'm going to talk about some famous ravens. Okay, so Baby asks, um, like, subscribe, review, duh. Like, you should do that to every podcast you like, because honestly, it really helps out. Um, I like this podcast, five stars. Um, let's see, Instagram.com, slash ones and fronds pod. Um, also, ones and fronds pod at gmail.com. And I think that's it. You know, shoot us an email. Tell me why you're a bird person. Yeah. Explain let's yourself. I'd like to hear more. If you're a bird person, how are you typing? Tell us more. <laughs> Tell do us your more. Little, do your little feathers ever get in the way? Do you clickety-clack with your dinosaur legs? Uh, Let us well, know. I mean, actually, a lot of phones do have talk-to-text now, and some birds can talk, so I do think a bird could send you an email. You know what? Excellent point. This is I'm me just being seasonist. I'm just saying. You're, par- and you're right. I, I, uh, an African gray parrot, I think, could send an email. Oh, yeah. Wow. Let's talk about some ravens, y'all. So I think, like, most people that are even marginally into Norse mythology know that Odin's sometimes, like, referred to as raven god, right? Like, he has such a deep tie to ravens. Um, and the particular pair of ravens we read about uh, with, like, a connection to him are Hugin and Munin. Um, they're essentially, their job is to basically fly around the world and, like, gather up good bits of knowledge and wisdom, like, the world and Midgard, and bring them back to Odin. So, we learn about them in the Poetic Edda, which is compiled from the earlier sources, the Prose Edda and Hemskringla, but they're also included in, like, the Third Grammatical Treatise and that good old skaldic poetry. So, the connection between Odin and ravens is like super super old and deep in the late 8th century which um, is before the Viking age mind you we see depictions of Odin on helmets and jewelry accompanied by one or more ravens and then we do get into the Viking age which is where we get skaldic poetry and in this poetry they use a rhetorical device called a kenning and I think we've maybe talked about it on here before, but I, I think it's actually important to kind of understand what this is. So a kenning is essentially a type of like paraphrasis, right? Where they refer to something indirectly using like images from traditional lore, as opposed to calling something by its like direct everyday name. So an example is that like a man of rings would be a kenning for a king because kings were men who gave out rings to like their subjects and their followers. And the reason this is important is because the association between Odin and ravens all the time in skaldic poetry, they're constantly using kennings um, involving like ravens to talk about Odin. So he's referred to as like the raven god, raven temptor, or even the priest of raven sacrifice. Um, I love that. Love it. There are also kennings that use Hugin as a substitute for just general ravens. So blood could be called Hugin Sea. A warrior in battle would be referred to as the Redner of Hugin's Claws. And a battle itself is sometimes referred to as Hugin's Feast, which fucking dark, intense. And sometimes the poets- Honestly, that sounds like a conceptual metal album. I mean, yeah, Norse mythology, welcome. Um, <laughs> sometimes the poets will use Moonin's name like the same way in Kennings, but Hugin is like the more common one. And I just have to say, ravens are dope. The best deities are associated with them or crows. Again, I love a carrion bird. But one of the reasons that you could see a deity associated with carrion birds would be their relationship with or their dominion over either battle or death. 
you know, we've got our dude Odin we're talking about, but also the Morrigan, heavily associated with ravens and crows. But ravens aren't only about death. They're also like super intelligent birds. So Apollo is also associated with ravens. Um, And we know that Odin is considered like an exceptionally intellectual god, right? So with Odin, ravens really serve like dual purposes. And the reason I'm kind of getting into this is because Hugin and Munin are also the old Norse words for memory and mind. And their names like refer to this idea that these two ravens are actually like seen as like a visualized form of the thoughts of Odin. And they're like an extension of Odin's intellectual and spiritual capabilities that like journey out of him in the form of like small little birdies, right? So this concept that they're extensions of his mind also explains why they're not actually treated like two distinct characters. They're kind of like copy paste. Um, And one of the verses that you'll usually like see pulled when you're talking, uh, well, when you're reading about Hugin and Munin is a verse from the Poetic Edda where Odin says, Hugin and Munin fly every day over all the world. I worry for Hugin that he might not return, but I worry more for Munin. And it's actually like even cooler, right? Because you're thinking about like, oh man, he's like worried about his birds. But when you think about this as like extensions of his mind, you kind of get into this like Norse shamanic practice where like Norse shamans and sorcerers would actually like send their spirits out to gather information, right? So this idea of Odin sending forth pieces of himself would have been something that folks familiar with like the magical practice of the region would have understood right like that was a common practice with their shamans their sorcerers their magic workers so here in these stories we're essentially seeing odin like sending forth pieces of his spiritual self in the form of birds to complete tasks like for his mostly like gathering wisdom and knowledge um but like when you send a piece of yourself out there's always that risk right that like parts could become lost or separated or even injured so that's part of why you have to be really careful when you're doing things like astral projecting or doing like dream walking magic so you know it's actually like it makes good sense that odin would be a little bit nervous about his bird friends not returning because um they're part of him so i i did see that sometimes people would sacrifice ravens to odin and i just like no don't leave the ravens alone fuck you um so really i mean that's kind of all i have today like the ravens don't necessarily have a lot of their own lore, but I just love this idea of like ravens representing the spiritual self, like on a journey, thinking about birds being super fucking liminal, but also birds as messengers. There's also a lot of cultures where birds have this connection to the other world or to the afterlife. I mean, birds are dope. Uh, but also I love the idea of using like mental imagery of birds, like when you're astral projecting like thinking about yourself in birds like hi bran uh bran the elder also bran stark from game of thrones but i i i think this concept of like kind of like putting your mind into a bird is is related to like really old shamanic and magical practices so anyway um that's hugin and moonin they're ravens but they're also odin so that's fun and that's that's so raven even that's so raven so today my main sources were at wikipedia and norsemythology.org love that um okay you guys it's the bitter end and um this week i did draw randomly out of the zodiac pile um until i got an air sign that is my concession to you guys this week that's fair um for the bird episode so i did get aquarius and this episode is actually coming out like right at the beginning of aquarius season oh the aquarius new moon is this weekend yes so this one is for y'all and actually i got the knight of swords from my dragon deck uh it had to be the dragon deck because we're talking about birds and fuck yeah um anyway so this is telling me that you guys are really wound up and like on a mission for the beginning of y'all season um y'all are working towards a clear 
goal and you have a mission-oriented mindset. And I love that energy, not only going into a new calendar year, but also your literal season. This is like your new year. Um, and as this Saturnian air sign, we are all already used to seeing results when you guys set your mind to things. So full steam, full steam ahead, y'all. Did it. Happy birthday. Um... Yeah. I, I have to say, too, I feel like this Aquarius new moon is actually giving me, like, the real start of the year vibes. Oh, yeah. Like, this feels like the actual kickoff. And it's, like, super positively aspected to Jupiter. So I love that we're getting an Aquarius new moon with, like, all that, like, good Jupiter luck and expansion in it. It's, like, plant some seeds, y'all. Really, though? Like, literal and metaphorical. But... That's all we have for you guys. So what do we say to all the bird bitches? Oh, to all you bird bitches, we say caca. I mean, um, blessed be bird bitches. Caca bitches. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye now. Dragon and dragon. It's it's the song of our people. <laughs>